So we are going through the Ten Commandments or Ten Words in uh, the book of Deuteronomy. And we're spending ten weeks going through each of the commandments and looking at how they are still relevant for today and how they still apply to us on, on this side of the cross. And uh, so today we're up to the third commandment, which I'm going to read out now in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 11. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 5 and verse 11, and I will read this out now. This is God's word. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. This is God's word. When, when I was uh, growing up, most of you would know I, I didn't grow up in a, a, a Christian family and none of my friends were, were really Christian either. And um, I had a, a particular friend who's still a good friend to this day. And he was certainly not, not Christian, um, but he had uh, enough exposure, probably from some grandparents of religion, that um, he tried not to say Jesus as a swear word. And there was a few times where I would use Jesus, probably more than a few, as a swear word. And I always remember him saying, don't, don't say the Lord's name in vain. And then he would go off swearing his head off in other ways. But, but just Jesus, you couldn't use. And uh, that's, that was certainly my experience with this commandment. Kind of a shallow understanding of this commandment. Just don't say God's name in vain when you stub your toe or something like that. And you're doing pretty well. You're walking in obedience to this command. But the call that we have here to not... Take the name of the Lord your God in vain is much, much deeper than simply not saying his name as a profanity. So it is true that part of this commandment, you can see from the plain reading of it, part of this commandment is to prevent people from speaking God's name in an incorrect way, like making false oaths in the Lord's name. That's part of this. And there is also, of course, a reverence that we should have for God's name, like we've just been singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. There's a reverence that we should have about us. So therefore, of course, we don't use God's name as a profanity. But I believe there is a much deeper meaning to this commandment that we will look at today. I believe this, this word that we have here, the third word in Deuteronomy chapter 5, is predominantly within the context of the Bible about lives, living lives that are totally given over to God, totally surrendered to our Father, lives that are committed to following Christ regardless of the consequences. So if we look at uh, chapter 5, verse 11 here, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. The word take is, uh, there's a different word in the original language that's kind of used just as the, the normal way of taking, like giving and receiving. And this, this idea of take is actually, it carries the idea of taking up. It's, it's a word that can also mean lift up. So it's this idea of taking it upon oneself in some way, like taking up this name upon yourself. 
And the NIV, which is a different Bible translation, we, we're reading from the ESV, the NIV translates this passage as you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. And I think that's actually a, a good, broad um, translation of this passage. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. So God wants to prevent people from misusing his name, whether by verbally using his name in an inappropriate way, or perhaps, as is more common in our society um, within the wider church, by misusing his name, by claiming that name, calling yourself a Christian, a Christ follower, yet living a life that shows no devotion or no love for this Savior, no commitment, no obedience to him. We, we see this just, I, I, I see it all the time. I was just having a conversation with a guy in a cafe just um, a few weeks ago who was wearing a cross as an earring. And I said, oh, are you a, a Christian? And he said, oh, well, not really. I mean, sort of like I would call, I, I guess I would call myself a Christian. I said, oh, okay, well, what, what church are you a part of? I don't really go to church. Oh, well, have you, um, have you ever heard of the word gospel? Like, do you understand what the gospel is? Oh, not really. And that's like, that's just um, emblematic of probably the majority of our population of people who, who like the symbol, who like to take that name in a certain way, but who aren't actually committed to jumping in to the cost of discipleship, to taking that name in the right way. So this command is not simply using God's name as a curse word. And in fact, I think that actually, as I alluded to, shows a shallow understanding that, that actually goes against this commandment if you don't use, if you only don't use God's name as a profanity. That kind of undercuts this because you kind of have many people, you know, like my friend, trying not to use God's name in vain as some sort of offering to the Lord. Like by doing that, he's going to be okay with you doing whatever else you want to do. It's like, thanks God, I won't use your name. You're sort of buying him off and you're kind of trying to appease God. Um, by just not saying Jesus is a swear word and, and God will somehow be okay. But that is actually misusing the name of the Lord our God. So we are not to take the name of the Lord our God in vain. When we take up his name, when we follow this word, we jump completely into the obedience of the faith with all of the rights and responsibilities that come with bearing this name, with having the name of God. So what does this idea of vanity mean? So we're, we're not to take up, we're not to take up the name of the Lord our God in vain or for vanity. What does, does vanity mean? It's, it's emptiness, it's purposeless, meaningless. Um, most of you would know a very common passage that Christians um, usually remember is Psalm 127 verse 1, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain who build it. So it's saying that passage there, and that's using the same word. So unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers labor in vain. And this is the same word. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And that passage there in Psalm 127 is basically saying, unless the Lord builds this house, unless the Lord builds his church, his temple, his body, 
we can employ all of the fancy strategies and pragmatism we want, and it will be utterly pointless, meaningless. It will serve no purpose. It will be for vanity unless the Lord builds the house because he is the master builder. We can do all we want and it will count for nothing unless the Lord is building his house. And in a similar way for this passage, unless you take up the name of the Lord your God by deciding to die to yourself and live completely for him, then you do it in vain. It's meaningless. It will hold no purpose. You're trying to keep one foot in and one foot out. So not taking the name of the Lord in vain is kind of like God saying, don't claim this name. Don't claim this name of mine and then continue to live building your own name, following your own selfish desires. Don't claim my name and do that because it will all be for vanity. It will be emptiness and it will serve no purpose. And we live, we live in a culture full of people building all sorts of things for their own name. That's kind of the goal of our society to um, seek whatever is best for yourself, your own happiness to flourish. That's the goal of our society to look out for yourself. And so our world is full of people building things for their own sake and it is emptiness and futility the hard truth is that the careers people so ambitiously pursue for their own selves whether it be status or some void that they are trying to fill will serve no purpose in the end if it is only done for themselves or even for those who lack ambition, those are for the people who, who have ambition, for those who lack ambition and who prefer to stay in their comfort zone and stay away, but are still doing that for their own sake, building this life of comfort, barriers around themselves so they never have to be uncomfortable and can please themselves. If that is only done for their self, for their own sake, it will be meaningless in the end. These things have no weight, no substance to them and we see this like we see this so clearly in our culture you've probably heard of this idea of cancel culture where now if um, someone does something wrong it really doesn't matter what they have done all of the good that they have done previously they are just cancelled we um, Jasmine and I were talking the other day about the University of Edinburgh where there is a um, building dedicated to David Hume, the great philosopher, and uh, someone dig, dug up a, a quote of his that seemed to, to um, be quite racist. And now the University of Edinburgh, as far as they are concerned, David Hume never existed. They've taken his name off the building, don't read him, they'll probably burn some books, take him away. All of the good that he did for philosophy Though he was quite antagonistic against Christianity, there was still many much good um, thought-provoking material that came out of his philosophy. Uh, he's cancelled everything that he did. And that is, that's going to be the case for everyone who has built something for their own sake and not for the Lord. It will be meaningless in the end. Andre Agassi, uh, the great tennis player, um, you probably have to be born before and maybe 2000 or 1995 to remember him, but he was like, uh, you know, a great tennis player, 
um, of the 90s. And in his biography, he captures this uh, really well. And he he was not a Christian, um, at least at this time. Uh, And he says, this is when he has just become the world number one. Uh, He has like marketing deals, millions and millions of dollars. And in his biography, he says, I'm the 12th tennis player to be number one in the two decades since they started keeping computer rankings. The next person who phones is a reporter. I tell him that I'm happy about the ranking, that it feels good to be the best that I can be, but it's a lie. This isn't at all what I feel. It's what I want to feel. It's what I expected to feel, what I tell myself to feel, but in fact, I feel nothing. I spend many hours roaming the streets of Palermo, drinking strong coffee, wondering what is wrong with me. I did it. I'm the number one tennis player on earth, and yet I feel empty. If being number one feels empty, unsatisfying, then what's the point? Why not just retire? And that's just one example of probably hundreds of thousands of those who society looks at as those who have it all, who actually say, this is emptiness. It's vanity. Anything built simply for our own sake will be emptiness and vanity. So God is saying, don't take up my name in this way. Don't take up my name and still try and seek your own selfish desires to preserve your life because you'll lose it. It will be meaningless. And he says, I will not hold that person guiltless. So I will pronounce them guilty who take up my name for vanity and emptiness because their pursuit of vanity and emptiness will be the evidence that they have never actually taken up his name. They have taken up a distortion of it. They have tried to pick and choose and their pursuit of vanity and emptiness in the end will be evidence against them that they never actually took the name of the Lord rightly. So this is a stern warning. I mean, this is no light thing, no light thing at all to take the name of Christ. This is a call to take up the name of our God with purpose, to live with intentionality. We're a pretty apathetic um, and particularly Australian, like a jovial culture, lighthearted. And I think this passage is like a, a hit in the face to us to stop playing games, stop playing Christianity. There's a reason why the Bible talks about our path of discipleship as warfare. And why we're called soldiers in Christ, not because we're going to take up literally the sword, but because our, our battle is not against flesh and blood. But this is a call to say, hey, this is hard. This is hard work. This is warfare. To take up God's name rightly and not in vanity is hard work. In fact, it's impossible. And that's why we need the Holy Spirit. That's why we need God's grace to sustain us so that we would not take this in vain. Another way of putting this, quite simply, another way of putting this um, call is just a call to bear fruit, to produce something, to have something in your life that shows that God's grace is working within you to bear fruit. So a few questions for you. Since coming to Christ, since you you would call yourself a Christian, since you would say that you've taken up this name, have your affections changed? 
A, affections. Have your affections changed? Is your heart now set upon different things? Or is your heart still set upon the things that you wanted to seek before being a Christian and now you just think that God can make them happen for you? Have your affections changed? Do you now love Jesus? Do you want to spend time with him? Are you able to extend forgiveness to others now that you have been forgiven in Christ? Does a a, a forgiving spirit extend from you? Are you generous? Is there evidence of generosity in your life? Do you take up the call to be a witness seriously? Do you take up this call to bear witness, to testify of Jesus Christ seriously? Because this is the kind of fruit that becomes the evidence, not that we work it on our own, but that God's grace works within us, but it becomes the evidence that we have not taken the name of the Lord our God in vain. And the prerequisite for this kind of fruit, the way that we have this kind of fruit, is the understanding that when we take up the name of God, when we take it up rightly, we also accept the mandate to renounce our own name. To take up God's name means that you relinquish every grip, every ounce of grip that you have to your own name. You give up your name, you live for his. That's what it means to take God's name, not in vain. And renouncing our name is also a call to reframe how we look at everything as every single thing, as those that are done in the name of Jesus Christ and for the glory of God from your work, from how you interact with your neighbors, your hopes, your desires. They are all done for the glory of God and in the name of Jesus Christ. So to take his name the right way is to relinquish every ounce of our own name and live entirely for his. And if you understand this, if you understand this, it will be incredibly relieving and comforting for you. Like this is, this is so significant. The fact that you do nothing for your own name and everything that you do is done in his name. This is so comforting. It's like a counterintuitive thing. But actually, the way, so, so dying to ourselves, relinquishing our name, leaving it behind and pursuing his name is the best possible thing for us. It seems counterintuitive because, as I said, our culture conditions us to think that we have to get ours. Go get yours. You do you. These cultural mantras that are all conditioning us to serve ourselves. And this is the total opposite. This is God saying, don't do you. Don't get yours. Get mine. Live for me. That's what this is saying. See how this is comforting. If you have areas of your life, see, if you have areas of your life that you are looking to build something for yourself, if there's things that you are looking to build for yourself, then you will have to rely upon your own strength to accomplish that. Whereas if you have relinquished every ounce of self-seeking glory and comfort, then you are free to depend entirely upon God's infinite strength 
to sustain you. Remember Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain and the similarities of that language. The beauty of taking up the name of God, the beauty of this is that we not only get the privilege, but we are actually invited by God to always call upon his sustaining help and power in everything we do. So just like Psalm 127 saying, unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers labor in vain, we, we get the privilege and are invited to pray things like, unless you, God, unless you, by your spirit, sustain me in this job, it will be pointless. It will be vanity unless you sustain me. There is a great boldness that we get to have as Christians. And if you, it, it only comes as you relinquish every ounce of yourself, as you, you take no pride in yourself. And then the irony is you then get this beautiful boldness to actually request of God what is his because he freely gives it. So unless you, O oh Lord, give me wisdom in this relationship, whether a working relationship or with my neighbor that's really tense and I don't want to talk to them, unless you give me wisdom, Lord, it's pointless. I know it won't work. I'm not good enough in and of myself. I'm not savvy enough with my language. I'm not a good enough person. Unless you work in me, it will be vanity. It will be pointless. Unless you, Lord, give me peace, in this season of anxiety and uncertainty, if you don't give me peace, I'm a mess. I'm doomed. There's no point. There's no point to this. And we as a church a few um, weeks ago went through reading the Psalms. And I think you see this in the Psalms all the time. This bold posture where the Psalms are saying, God, if you don't do this, if you don't come through for me right now, there's no point to this. I give up. I give up. And that's actually exactly what God calls us to do, to die to ourselves, to give up so that he can come through with his power and he will get the glory. He will get all of the glory. The strength of the Christian comes through dying to yourself, through relinquishing your name. It's like Moses in Exodus um, after uh, he had led the people out of the um, out of Egypt and into the wilderness and uh, they were rebelling and they were stiff-necked and God was actually saying, right, I've had enough of these people. Um, you can go in, Moses, you can take them into the promised land, but I'm not going with you. I'm, I'm done. And Moses says, unless you, if your presence doesn't come with us, I'm not going either. There's no point. It's vanity. You may as well just kill me now, God. Unless your presence goes with us, there is no point to this. And that is the posture that we have that glorifies God because it shows that we have relinquished every bit of self-sufficiency and we seek to do all things in his name and in the strength that he provides. So why does God say you shall not take my name. Why names? We've looked at what this idea of taking upon ourselves means and then vanity um, and the connections between other passages. But why, why name? Why doesn't God just say, don't, don't disobey the Lord your God. Just walk in obedience to me. Or, you know, be sure not to follow your own selfish desires. 
themes that are biblical, that are actually New Testament ideas as well. But God actually makes a point of saying, don't take up my name. Don't take my name for vanity. And you will take up God's name in vain if you don't understand the weight of his name. You have to understand the weight of God's name. Names are more than just words or letters. Like some people don't want to give their name out to someone else because it feels like they're giving a piece of themselves. And so they're very private. Or you know how um, names carry weight? Like if you were in school and there was usually like a big, powerful family and someone would say, oh, that kid's a Bennett. Stay away from him. You know, like names actually carried weight. They carry reputation and honor. And God's name commands respect. God's name has a deep and weighty meaning to it. When God introduces himself, uh, when he's about to tell Moses to go to Pharaoh to free the people. And Moses says, well, when they ask who's sending me, who shall I say? Like, how do you want? What's your name, God? How do you want me to introduce you to them? And God says, you tell them I am who I am. I am who I am. And his God's name, Yahweh, actually comes from the Hebrew verb to be. Like the letters come from that same. So his, his name is just I am. I'm self-existent. Everyone else has a beginning. I just am. I am. Like his name is, is weighty. His name carries his reputation and honor. So Paul says in Philippians, taking the name of Jesus, which is God's visible image. And Paul says Jesus now has the name that is above every name. The name at which every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Imagine this, every single, the billions and billions of human beings who have existed for all eternity will all bow before King Jesus when he returns at that name. They will bow no matter how strong and powerful they think they are. They will bow before this name. So in this command, God is saying, don't take up my name, which is my reputation, which carries this weight. Don't take up this name, which every knee is going to bow down to. Don't take up this name of mine for vain purposes, or I will hold you guilty. To take up his name is to take up the responsibility of bearing his name to the world. That's, that's why, that's where the word Christian comes from. Like Christian was originally used as an insult to the followers of Jesus early on. And it just means little Christ or ones who associate with Christ. To, to call yourself a Christian is to identify very intimately with this name. To bear it, to, to actually... Um, to take up the responsibility of this name. And that responsibility necessarily entails dying to ourselves daily, which is why I think this is very similar language 
that Jesus uses when he talks about the cost of discipleship. So in Mark 8, Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So to take up God's name is to take up the cross of Christ, to deny yourself and follow him. That is the responsibility of taking this name. Now, as I just finish, I want to draw attention to two final things. There is something absolutely astounding about the uh, right, R-I-G-H-T, the right of bearing this name. So that's the responsibility. The responsibility of bearing the name is to then take up your cross and follow Jesus, to be a witness, to represent him to the world. And the right of this is that we receiving this name are actually co-heirs with Jesus Christ. That's how we get this name. So we receive all of the rights of being children of God. I don't know. I think this is something that it's just so big that, that it's so weird that we can sit here and I do it all the time and listen to that and just kind of like, oh yeah, yeah. I wonder what I'm going to have for dinner tonight. Like just and not let it sink in. It's such a huge thing to actually be called a child of God, to then have the rights of a child of God, to approach this God who created everything and say, Father, help me. Come through for me. So we get to enjoy the benefits of having this name, of knowing that that, this name is the basis by which we know that our Father will never leave us nor forsake us because we bear his name and he is never going to renounce his own, never. So we have the privilege of boldly coming before the Father. We have actually been clothed in his name. It's been wrapped around us, sealed upon our foreheads as if God reaches down from heaven and says, you are mine, I want you in my family. Come and enjoy the benefits of being a part of my family. And so how could we ever take up this lightly? And the last thing, when we understand what it means to take up God's name, we see how it transforms everything. So because we do things in the name of Jesus, because we take up this name, this gives meaning to everything we do. So as I mentioned earlier, all of the marvelous things that people have done, everything that people like Steve Jobs and Bill Gates have created that have served great purposes, they will count for nothing in the end when they have not been done for the glory of God in the name of Jesus. All of humanity's greatest accomplishments are like the grass of the field that withers away in comparison to the glory of God. But when you work with an understanding that you are working in the name of Jesus and to the glory of God, then it gives meaning to everything we do. And that's why Paul in Colossians 3, when he is talking to slaves, he says, you slaves work heartily as to the Lord and not for men, 
knowing that from the Lord you will receive an inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. I mean, he's saying that to slaves and he's saying, you slaves, you are actually in your work serving the Lord Jesus. He's your boss. So therefore do things heartily for him because you do all things in his name. And that's why, that's why when we finish our prayers, we say, in Jesus' name. I've said it before, it's not like, I think some people, I know I would have thought this when I first came to church, it sounds like some sort of club, you know, magical tagline that you add on. You've got to know the tagline to say it. But it's actually, it's reminding ourselves, we're not praying this in our name at all. We're praying everything in the name of Jesus Christ. And that's why we know our Father listens. We don't bring anything to the table. But when we do everything in his name, we approach him as sons and daughters whom he looks upon and says, yes, of course, of course, my beloved son and daughter, I will provide that for you or that's not good for you. And that's why we say in the name of Jesus. I want to just before we sing our last song, just draw attention to this this song we're going to sing in a few lines out of it. This song is called Jesus, I My Cross Have Taken. And it's, it's a song uh, that was written 200 years ago, almost 200 years ago. And it's, it's about this theme. It's about this theme of following Jesus, which is to take up God's name, not in vain. It's, it's to jump all in, to follow Christ and so in this song, in the first, uh, the first lines say, Jesus, I my cross have taken, all to leave and follow thee, destitute, despised, forsaken, thou from hence my all shall be. Perish every fond ambition, all I've sought or hoped or known, yet how rich is my condition, God and heaven are still my own. So perish every fond ambition, all I've sought or hoped or known. I don't want to live building things for myself. My hopes, Lord, are now yours. They are yours. You do with them as you please. I give myself entirely to you. The fourth stanza says, Go then, earthly fame and treasure. Come disaster, scorn and pain. Can you imagine singing that? Like some of the, some of the things we sing, I don't think we let it actually sink in. Do you want to sing that? Go then, earthly fame and treasure, come disaster, scorn and pain. Do you want to welcome scorn and pain? That, that seems really odd. Yet it is the path of a disciple. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of heaven. And those who desire to live a godly life will face persecution. Like that's, that's the reality. But then he goes on to say, in thy service, pain is pleasure. With thy favor, loss is gain. And then... I have called thee Abba, Father. That's just a term meaning father, father. Like it's an affectionate term. If you repeat the name Abba, Abba or father, father, it's an affectionate term. We call him father, father. We call him not from a distant, but this intimate, beautiful expression. I have stayed my heart on thee. Storms may howl 
and clouds may gather, all must work for good to me. That is a beautiful promise that we have when we take up his name. We know that God makes all things work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And when we are called, we receive his name. We take up his name. And so we know everything will work together for good. So I'll just invite Andrew up now and we're going to sing, but I just encourage you to, to let these words sink in, to sing them uh, with joy, with awe before this holy God who has given us his name. And so we now have the rights, but also the responsibility of bearing that name.